0: So this morning I want us to look at the Easter story from the perspective of a group of women. A group of women who were the first to discover the empty tomb of Jesus. We we don't know exactly how many women they were, but three of them are named in the Bible, two Marys and a Joanna. And as I reread this story, I couldn't help but notice how much their experience on that first Easter Sunday connects with our experience in this season in which we are now living. Uh, I want to introduce you to them. If you have a copy of the Bible, join me in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start reading at verse one Again, I'd encourage you, grab a copy of the Bible or a device and turn to the Bible app. Grab something to write with, something to write on, and just continue to ask what the Lord wants to say to you through his word. But let's meet these women. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, that is Easter Sunday, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb." Now, these are some awesome ladies that I believe we just don't hear enough about. They didn't just follow Jesus as their leader, but they loved Jesus as their friend. Matter of fact, at great risk to themselves, this group of women went with Jesus all the way to the scene of his death. They were there at the cross. But not just that. When Jesus' body was taken down from the cross, they secretly trailed the soldiers to see exactly where his body would be buried and they just weren't okay with the reckless way in which Jesus' body was treated and so they hatched a plan. We're going to go back home and we're going to prepare some spices. We're going to prepare some perfume. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to come back here and beg the soldiers to allow us to go into the tomb just for a few moments so that we can embalm the body of our friend Jesus and give him the kind of send off we believe he deserves. And so their plans are beautifully Laid out with no idea what's about to happen next. Look at what it says in verse 2. When they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Ah, kind of nice. Maybe somebody left the door open for them. But verse 3 says: when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, you and I may not feel the weight of this moment, reading it centuries removed, but this discovery would have been devastating for them. They're already sitting with the weight of grief. They're already now sitting with the loss of their friend. And now on top of all of that, this disappointment We couldn't do anything to stop the soldiers from arresting our friend Jesus. We couldn't do anything to stop them from torturing our friend Jesus. We couldn't do anything to stop them from crucifying him on a cross. We couldn't even do anything to stop them from carelessly throwing his body into this tomb. But finally, we found one thing that we could do, we could care for his body, even in his death, and now suddenly, that's been taken away. This would have been deeply disappointing to these ladies. Now, you can't relate to these ladies unless you've ever experienced, say, the disappointment of plans suddenly altered. What you went to bed believing you would do the next day, altered. And to the rest of us reading your story, it may not feel like a big deal, but to you, absolutely devastating. You went to bed looking forward to having a softball season. You went to bed looking forward to track and field this semester, You went to bed with hopes and plans of being on a beach somewhere with your family because after all, it's it's spring break. You went to bed as a parent, woke up as a teacher, plans altered. You went to bed looking forward to throwing your graduation cap in the air with a group of your classmates, and now... That's been altered. You can't relate to these ladies unless you've experienced the devastating disappointment of altered plans. Anyone? And just when you think that they're starting to process this and they're starting to come to terms with it, trying to figure it all out, they are hit with another Wave. Look at what it says here in verse number four. It says, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. You have got to be kidding me. Have you ever experienced anything like that, where it feels like you're you're just reeling from a disappointment, you you are reeling from grief, and just starting to, to maybe get your mind around it, only to be hit by another wave? That's what's happening to these ladies. They're experiencing compounding shock. Have you ever been there? Yeah, you can go ahead and use that wave emoji in your comments. I know I have very recently. Where all of a sudden you're like, schools are what? Things have been delayed how long? There have been how many cases? Wait. Wait. I've been furloughed? What does that even mean? Wait, you're telling me that that my dream job, my life's work is now being considered non-essential? You've got to be kidding me. You can't relate to these ladies unless you've experienced compounding shock on top of your disappointment. I'm kicked out of my dorm room? I'm all of a sudden an online college student. Bro, I'm an Enneagram 7. This is not a good idea for anybody whatsoever. And yet that's what these ladies are experiencing in this moment. Shock on top of their disappointment. Where are the soldiers who were supposed to be here? Where's the body of our friend Jesus and What on earth are these lightning dudes standing here and talking to us? It says in verse five, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I've read uh, this passage of Scripture, and I've pictured almost this really pretty scene where these ladies are doing like, you know, the praise wave, and then they synchronize their bow, and then, oh, we're standing in a holy place with angels before us, and let's bow down in reverence. And I love that the Bible sets the record straight by telling us they are not bowing down in reverence. They are collecting collapsing in resignation. The overwhelming experience of fear on top of shock buckles their knees and they fall to the ground in resignation almost as a way of just saying it's over. And I don't know about you, but in the moments of my life when I've been most afraid, that's what I'll do. I will close and then cover and then Curl. My way of just saying, I don't have any interest in seeing how my own story ends. What these women are experiencing on top of their grief, on top of their shock, on top of their disappointment is overwhelming fear. And you cannot relate to them unless, of course, you yourself have been there. Because what might this virus do to your body? What might this virus do to your parents? Will the economy ever recover from this? Will we ever get back what we lost in the stock market? How on earth am I supposed to take care of my family? Now, what does the future actually look like? You can't relate to these ladies unless you've experienced overwhelming fear. And can we just be honest that to some degree or another, many, if not most of us, are there right now. Will I make it as a first responder? Will I have to be a teacher at home forever? I'm just trying to tell you, we can relate so much to these ladies in their shock, in their disappointment, in their fear. But here's what I love about this story. Is it doesn't end there for them. And I'm telling you, it doesn't have to end there for us. Look at what happens next. This is so awesome. Second part of verse five says, but the men, these lightning dudes, said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for Jesus here. Huh? I mean, can we just put our spirituality aside just for a quick moment and acknowledge, sorry, kids, that's Kind of a dumb question. Matter of fact, if the the ladies had an opportunity to answer this question, I suspect they might, if they could somehow put their fear aside for a moment. Why are we looking for Jesus here? What kind of question is that? Where do we even begin with all the reasons? Um, well, let's start medically. Now, we are no surgeons, but we know enough to know, and we believe the experts will back us on this, but dead means dead. It doesn't mean living, and we saw Jesus dead, which means we are looking for someone who has died. What do you mean why are we looking for the dead among the living? And let's talk historically I mean ladies stop me anytime but we're not historians but in all of human history every time someone is buried the grave becomes their new permanent address so if we're looking for someone who's been buried it 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 makes sense that we should come here and and they don't call us the logical ladies for nothing in the village uh Logically, we know enough to put the dots together and say if we're looking for someone who is dead and someone who is buried, this is the right place to come. Don't try and confuse us with your fancy questions. Why are you looking for Jesus here? Their response and their decision to come to the grave makes absolute sense. Logically, except verse number six, the angels say, he is not here. He has risen. Woo! Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee he has risen. He has done something that transcends logic. He has done something that defies all medical expertise. He has done something unprecedented in all of human history. He has actually risen from the dead. Remember how he told you that on the third day he would get on up. Remember how he told you he wouldn't be here on the third day. So we're just asking you, why are you looking for him here when he told you he wouldn't be here? Which is what the angels are asking. Remember what he said? And I'm telling you, church, that's the whole message this Easter. Remember what he said, that's a good word that the angels are preaching. But it's a word that won't make sense to you unless you've ever been in a situation where you've had to ask, am I going to go with what Jesus has said or with what's always been? Am I going to go with what Jesus has said or with what all the experts seem to be saying? Am I going to go with what Jesus said or with what makes the most logical sense to me? This word won't make sense to you unless you've ever been in a situation where you've had to ask, am I going with what Jesus has said or with what everything around me says, with what everything within me feels, with what my bank account warns? And on that first Easter, Much like is true for all of us, these ladies were faced with a choice when the angels had reminded them what Jesus had said. Will you build this season on what Jesus said or on something else? That's the question that we all have to answer because in this season, something is ultimately going to drive what we think and what we feel and what we do. And please hear me. It's either going to be what Jesus said or something Now, don't get me wrong. (laughs) That doesn't mean that those things are always opposed. That doesn't mean those things are mutually exclusive, but they are never equal. One of them is ultimately going to drive. And the question for us this Easter, much as was true for these ladies, is which one is it ultimately going to be? What Jesus said what Jesus said. That's a foundation that I believe will never be shaken. And let me just make my ultimate recommendation. Go with what Jesus said. Remember what he said, and it says in verse number seven, the angels remind them just as they would remind us. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. He told them this. He must be crucified, but come on, somebody, on the third day, be raised again. He said it, and I can imagine the angels not so much saying, told you so, but this sense of if you had banked and built your lives on what Jesus said, you would never be here right now. And I wonder if that's not a word for maybe some of us. If you had banked and built on what Jesus said emotionally, you may not be here right now. You may not be in the situation of panic that you're in right now. He told you that he would get up. And I wonder how many of us are experiencing hyper anxiety and how many of us are experiencing needless, overwhelming fear simply because we've lost sight of what Jesus has said. And we're looking to the headlines for hope and we're looking to Fauci for freedom. No offense against him. He's a really cool guy, if you ask me. But check out what happens next in the story of these ladies and what I pray will happen in all of our stories this season. Verse 8 says, then they remembered his words. (laughs) I love that. Then they remembered his words. These ladies say, oh yeah, he did say that, didn't he? He did tell us he wouldn't be here for very long. After all the moments of grief and after all their moments of panic and all the experience of shock and all the devastating disappointment and all the overwhelming fear they experienced, they came back to this place and said, that's right. Jesus did say that. And then they went home. And they not only went home, they went home sharing hope with the other followers of Jesus Christ who were experiencing overwhelming fear. You you know why we love Easter? (laughs) Easter is this beautiful reminder that if the grave was not strong enough to keep Jesus from doing what he said, What pandemic can possibly keep him from doing what he said he would for you? If the grave was not strong enough to keep Jesus down because he said he would rise, I'm just curious to know what is strong enough to keep you down if Jesus has spoken. There is only one option, church, for making it through this season, not merely surviving this season, but actually having extra hope to give to others in our world, and that is coming back to what Jesus has said. And the resurrection is a reminder he will always deliver on what he said, and nothing is too great for him, I better be getting an amen in the comments section on that one right there. In fact, next week, we're going to start a series of conversations on the promises of Jesus, talking about what Jesus has said. Because listen, whatever else happens in this season, we want to come back to what Jesus has said. We want to build our lives. We want to bank our lives on what Jesus Christ has said now let's let's not be naive please let's not do the super spiritual thing Easter is not for pretending that we don't feel the things that we feel. It's not for pretending we don't feel shock and disappointment and fear. No, in fact, Easter is a great time to acknowledge those things. In fact, it's a great time to pile our shock on top of our fear and pile our disappointment as high as we possibly can. But then when we're done piling, to then speak to the pile. And remind it he is risen. And if the grave was not strong enough to keep Jesus from doing what he said, then you are not strong enough to keep Jesus from doing what he said he would in my life. If he said, All things work together for the good for those who love me then I'm believing my disappointment and, and this pandemic and what's happening in the economy is not being wasted, but it's being repurposed for my good. I am going with what Jesus Christ has said. If he says that his angel encamps around those who fear him, then listen, I'm going to make a circle around all of the things that are coming against me and remind them you are surrounded because Jesus has said so. He is risen, church. That is the ultimate proof that he will do what he says he will do. Let's build our lives. Let's bank our lives on what Jesus Christ has said. And I want to say something to, to maybe somebody who's watching or engaging this message, and you don't know Jesus Christ personally. I, I just want to let you know that there is a greater pandemic than the virus we're experiencing right now. It's a pandemic of sin, and there is no cure Known to man except the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, which he accomplished on the cross and he guaranteed when he rose from the dead. And if you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, let me tell you what Jesus says about that. In fact, check out this verse that's going to come up on the screen. This is 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I just want to invite you, if you've never started the relationship with Jesus by banking your entire life on him, here's his offer to you. Bring your sin, bring your mistakes, bring your brokenness to him, and confess that you need him to forgive, and he will. Church, what an amazing thing that in the midst of everything that's happening in our world, we have the word of Jesus proven by his resurrection to bank and build Our lives on. I'm going to pray for us before we sing a song together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his word. Give us the faith to trust his word above all else. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.